people should just create art for creating art. Like you don't have to create it to make money, but like if you do want to make money, then you have to think about like, is this going to make money or am I making the most obscure movie in the world and like no one will understand it and therefore no one will buy it. Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, episode 39. I'm Leslie Shannon. And I'm Elise Siebert. Today we are speaking with actor, screenwriter, and someone who works in distribution, Allie Weinstein. We talk to her about the ins and outs of distribution, working at Magnolia Films, and what what if if you you could could live live till 200? I am a little cuckoo right now. (laughs) That's the best way I to wonder if that. I should just yeah. like zip this up. No, and let you I feel like that's talk. like zip it freedom. <laughs> zip. See, Elise is just trying to make sure that you feel super comfortable. Yeah. She's like, I'm a wild card over here. So yeah. anything you say is great. Yeah. <laughs> I might be a little. It's all good. I'm, it's been a long day for me too. <laughs> so. And then I'm like, it's only Tuesday. It's right? Tuesday. Oh I my know. God. I can't. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Tomorrow we Wednesday, and then that's it's almost the week halfway. is done. Yeah. yeah, over. You're halfway through. I know. So what's a typical day like for you? Uh, What is a typical? Recently, it's been like go to work at like 10.30 at my mystery job. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a nice time that to is a nice time to Yeah, no, it's great. And then it like allows me, if I have to go to work early, which has been a lot recently, that I can like still get in at like 9 or 9.30, but it's not even like, that's not even that early, you know? But I do also live like in the middle of Brooklyn, so it still takes me like 40-ish minutes to get anywhere. What do you do on your commute? Do you zone um, out, read, listen to music? like a combination I usually am either reading or listening to a podcast (laughs) (laughs) so you can listen to this one whenever commuting I like podcasts obviously what you do (laughs) I didn't know that about you (laughs) um how long are your days usually are they like super it depends on like normal on honestly like on days that we're, we're not preparing for big things it's like 10 30 to 6 and then like on really busy weeks it's like I try to get in early and then maybe leave at like 6 30 ish uh or later I mean it really depends but um yeah and then honestly like after work recently it's been like find a networking event to go to meet up with someone who I met at a network it's been like lots of like trying to do career specific things that so I can like do passions that are not as work related um it's so like acting and screenwriting stuff but yeah the side hustle of it all yeah exactly it's been feeling very side hustle recently <laughs> um I feel like what you're doing though is going hand in hand at least it's like in the same like groups of people yeah you know? for sure no so and I, yeah probably when you're networking for work versus networking for screenwriting or you're acting like it's there's crossover. Right, right. And yeah, and I'm finding that like having worked at these other like business side of film jobs gives me a lot more legitimacy to people as an actor and a screenwriter because obviously like a lot of times when you're like, I'm an actor or a screenwriter, everyone's like, cool. Because like everyone's an actor and a screenwriter. So it's like, 
I mean, at least like at all of these networking events. So oh, yeah, no, <laughs> maybe no, not we, in general. We, we know. Yeah, we know. I'm sure you guys understand. Yeah. So like being able to be like, oh, I also work at this place that's like more business side of film. People are like, oh, I've heard of that. You must be doing something that means something. Um, and then I'm like, yeah. But then it's much easier to segue into like the acting, my other interests, because they're, they already like are on board with me, I guess, as yeah. like a person. Um, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I feel like it's always good. Like even, even having this podcast, it's different kind of networking opportunities to talk to people, which I just think is, I, I just think it's natural because, yeah. um, I don't know when you're talking, we, we have a service that we can help people get their work out there, you know, talk about the movie they just made or wrote or directed or whatever, um, it makes it, I guess it makes it feel like a more like two-way relationship. Like we have something to offer. And, yeah. Um, it, it honestly, like, and not to make this sound bad, but I think people find you more valid. And I know that that's a horrible way to put it, but I think that there's like a validity when you are not only just an actor, but you're a filmmaker and you have a podcast and you have like all these other things that are happening, then people take you, they take you a lot more seriously. Right. No, I totally agree. Like I went to, um, like a screenwriting pitch event like two weeks ago. Um, and it was like hosted by NBC. So it was already very legit, but, um, I found that doing, it was kind of like speed dating pitching. And I found that like, if I mentioned that I worked at this job, like everyone I talked to knew someone who I worked for. And so like, then they were like so much more on board with like hearing what I had to say about my screenplays than I think they would be otherwise, because it was like a, a mixture of like lots. It was like, people who are in college or who just graduated. So it's like, was like a mixture of a lot of different experience levels, but I felt like that really helped me stand out like from the crowd. I get not to demean anyone no, else no, who is at this because no, we all have yeah. legitimate ideas, yeah. but um, I think it helped people focus more, I guess, on what I had to say. Right. Which is like an unfair thing. Like it shouldn't have to be that way Absolutely. that like the only way that we're taken seriously is if we're working in something that like, I don't know, is more like label, like a label, um, like a big brand. Well, I guess. It, it gives the stamp of like, it gives a stamp of like legitimacy or like, right. like just like, I don't know. I, I, people like familiarity. They like what they know. So if they know somebody that knows you that like, it's just a way to connect. And really at the end of the day, we all just want to connect. So if we have something to connect over, those relationships just automatically out of the gate are so much stronger than right. I'm a stranger, you're a stranger. Okay. You know, and sometimes you hit it off with somebody that you don't have to know anybody, but the, I mean, there's a reason why there's the, the cliche. It, it is who, you know, in many industries and yeah, no, I feel like it's not even a cliche. I just yeah. feel like it it's is the way it's like it is. The truth. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I feel like if you know, if you've worked with people and you trust them and you know their work, like, of course, you're just going to, why would you take a risk on somebody you don't know? So then it's as like, as artists, as screenwriters and actors and directors, it's like, okay, how can we build those strong connections so that we can keep moving forward in our goals and aspirations? Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I totally agree. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, again, it might seem unfair, but then all the more reason for you guys as our guests to create your own work. Because when you do, then you have more to talk to people about when you yeah. go to these networking events and you don't feel like awkward turtle in the corner. corner. <laughs> Apparently that's corner. a word. Um, <laughs> glug, glug, glug to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you're not like sitting in the corner by yourself, like twiddling your thumbs. Right. Because you don't feel, you feel awkward talking to people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get into acting and screenwriting? Like what was that path like for you? Um, I mean, I've been, I did like theater acting. I mean, I have, uh, yeah, I've been doing it for a very, very long time. Like it was like a whole like childhood thing. And then I was in drama club in middle and high school. Um, but then my, and it was always something that I was really passionate about, but I, for a really long time, wanted to be a marine biologist. So <laughs> that was my path till like 10th there grade. There are so many artists I know where it was like, be an art, like any kind of artist, whether it's like a dancer, a musician, filmmaker, or a marine biologist. I don't know how those two fit together. <laughs> yeah. But you were probably like the fifth person I know who is like in the creative fields that wanted to be a marine bio. I feel like That's one so of funny. our guests said that too. Oh, I think they did it too. Yeah. I can't remember who it was, but I have another friend too who um, is a singer and then like took like, um, a break for a while and like was studied marine biology. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like once people find out there's a lot of science involved and it's not just like swimming with dolphins. Right. That's exactly, I think what my, but it's funny. Yeah. It's like, that was my realization. Like I was like, I very vividly remember like driving in the car with my dad. Um, and he's like also in the entertainment business. So it's like, I like kind of like grew up around it. And then I think that was like both a pro and a con of like deciding whether to commit to acting or not. But then I was like driving the car with him and I like had this realization that like marine biology right is like going to be me sitting in a lab for my whole life and I was like that's not the life I want to live um because yeah I literally I like had an internship at a dolphin swimming place for like a week and that was like I was like that's all I want to do with my life and then I realized I just read this article that uh, yoga pants, which I am a bit, I'm very guilty of, are causing microfibers in our water. So when you wash them, microfibers are coming off of the yoga pants and going, they eventually get, you know, filtered to our oceans. And they did samples. Isn't that crazy? No. They did say, I know, I know. And I, here I am wearing my yoga pants, but they're trying to get, um, this is such a tangent. I'm so sorry, but they're trying to get washer, uh, washing machine companies to to find the technology to build a filter to stop it isn't that crazy yeah well that's like the same thing with like micro beads in face wash in face wash how they stopped putting it in because they realized that it was like getting in contaminating water yeah and that percentage was like so small compared to these microfibers from synthetic fabrics so any synthetic fabrics i know that's so Yoga pants are the I best. know. <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like yoga, like yoga pant companies usually are like very zen and like, you know, want to be green. Like I, I'm thinking of the Girlfriend Collective who I've ordered pants from and they make their pants from recycled water bottles and you feel really good, but you don't even realize when you wash them, I guess when you wash them, these fibers are coming off. All right. So call to action. You yeah. guys come up with some sort of filter. Let's, let's yeah. work on this technology people. Um, cause we need our yoga pants. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. what we need. Not the oceans. No, we definitely need the oceans, oceans too. We need but like them both. more, but if we can find a way to have both, that would be really cool. Anyway, 
weird tangent. tangent. <laughs> what does your dad do in the entertainment industry? He is a comedian. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. He's a comedian. He's a comedian. Amazing. So he did stand up for a very, very long time, like till I was in middle school and then kind of transitioned. He, yeah. So he like did the hardcore stand up uh, like circuit in New York and was like performing at like three clubs a night and was performing and like best friends with like Chris Rock and like doing all these like, and like me, like my mom would go and like hang out with all these like crazy famous people and like they would all perform together and it was wild. Um, and then, so he, yeah, he did that sort of stuff and was like on Comedy Central and did big like award. I don't know. Like he competed in this like competition in Atlantic city against Ray Romano. And then like Ray Romano, the only reason he won is because he used like a prop and that like really impressed everyone. I don't even like, I it's Chris. So no, every time I see Ray Romano, I'm like, like, I don't know. So just like, like thing against him. Yeah. It was like, he cheated. It's, he cheated. That's like, I used to do figure skating and everyone who used props always won. It's like, that's not fair. I had talent. I don't know. I was okay. I was okay we it. can't, we can't brush over this. Cause I was going to ask you about this. So you did figure skating. Yeah, that's amazing. I always wanted to be me a too. Skater. When I was a little kid, I, I I wanted to be a performer in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I grew up in Mississippi, so we did not have things in order to easily become figure skaters. Um, I would literally have had to have driven like three hours to just get to in a public um, ice skating rink. Right. Um, but I used to stand in front of the television and try to imitate their the moves. Yeah. And no, jump I around. Loved it. Yeah. So, so figure skating. Tell us One about One of my skating. best friends teaches ballet to figure skaters in yeah. Colorado it's because like they all thing. train there. Yeah. Because the, I think because of the elevation and it's Colorado. Yeah. It's yeah. cold there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. she teaches dance to them. So that like cross training. That makes sense that they would do it because um, it, uh, when you train at elevation, it mm-hmm. um, does wonders for your blood mm-hmm. and helps it when you're not at elevation. Yeah. Um, it yeah. helps you. That's yeah. true. I did a competition in Colorado once and I was not used to the elevation. And like I, and this is when I was a lot younger. So my program that I did on the ice was maybe like a minute and a half. And I felt like I was dying. I was like, what is happening? It was like really, cause right. It's like a minute and a half is like nothing here. But then like in Colorado, I like got off the ice and, and like couldn't you, breathe. And if you just got there too, yeah. like my husband's family's from Denver and like, it's Thanksgiving, so we'll be like, let's go for a run or do something active. And the way my lungs burn, I have never experienced that before. Yeah. <laughs> like any kind of physical activity there. It's oh, insane. Yeah. I have some fun stories about going there with my husband and his like overly active family. They all do like well, they do like crazy, yeah, like, they what do are like they called? Ironmans yeah. and like the extreme, ultra Yeah, ultra. That's what it is. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, running with them is really fun. Um, but yeah. I've had some runs in Colorado where I've experienced some of the same stuff where you're, you're, you're thinking, why is it so, so hard, hard to breathe? breathe? Yeah. <laughs> but so was that just another passion of yours, figure skating or? Yeah. I mean, like, I think it's like, the reason I never ever literally my entire life everyone's like oh were you like an Olympic level figure skater oh and gosh. I was like I'm always like no I just like <laughs> oh, like the two things People. I get are like 
forget that there's multiple levels to things. Right. You know? They like, do the same thing when you tell people that you're an actor. Are you on Broadway? Right. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm not. Thanks for reminding me. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, thankfully, I didn't. Like, my reaction was, like, thank God I'm not an Olympic figure skater. Like, I was like, this is not the life I want to lead. But, I mean, it, so, yeah, it was, like, an, definitely another passion of mine. Like, I skated from ages, like, 6 to 18. And I did, like, competitive skating and uh, like synchronized skating and all sorts of things. But, um, it definitely like theater always was like a little above that. So like, that was always like what I was more committed to, which I think is why I never progressed as far in skating as I could have. But like, I don't regret that at all because I eventually moved to like in high school to like an elite figure skating club. And like everyone, I mean, I, I skated with people who like have gone to the Olympics and it was just like, they like, honestly, in my opinion, had like no lives, which is like, I'm sure if they heard this, that they wouldn't feel that way. But like, it's like, they well, don't go different, to school. It's a different yeah. kind of life it's it's right. i mean it's not the typical what you think of for a child high school kind of life yeah it's yeah. different you, you know i think it's a little more isolating and for sure yeah and yeah and it's just like such a it's it's so competitive and it doesn't leave you time to do anything else so exactly. unless you want that to be ju- your, your life, life yeah then and if you do then that's great but yeah, you, exactly. But if you don't, then mm, it's not. Well, the it's right hard to know path when you're that young, too. Right, agree. exactly. I mean, it's the same thing with like child actors, or right. you know, it's the same kind of concept. It's like, whose ideas is it to do this? Like, is it really their own? You know, it's hard to know when you're that young. Yeah. Or is it something that's been told to you that you should do? You right. Know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. I know. It's. It's a, it's a gamble, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely No matter is. which way you go. So how did you make your way into distribution? And like, how has, how has that affected your screenwriting and your acting and vice versa? Yeah, um, I, let's see. Okay, so, right, so like 10th grade, decided I wanted to be an actor, told my dad in that car moment, and then the things very rapidly <laughs> changed because he was like, if you want to do this, like, I got to get you ready. Yeah, he knew how um, to get you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was like, he was effectively like my acting coach for two years, which was like not an easy thing, but something that now that I'm older, I'm really grateful for. Um, so yeah, he kind of knew all the like, Allie has to start being in these things and start reading these books and watching these movies and analyzing things in this way and like getting her demo reel together and resume and headshots and et cetera. Um, and then, right. And then like my senior year of high school, I always like had all these really kind of like big ideas and I like attempted to write books and then I was like I can't I do not have the patience for this and my dad is also so like what he transitioned to when I was in middle school was more writing and he like wrote for Cirque du Soleil for a while and then like has done his own writing so he does screenwriting and so like I was like oh maybe that's what is a better channel for my ideas um and I like went to him and I was like I want to write a screenplay and he literally just like handed me like a formatting book and was like go do it then and I'm like I was like okay um (laughs) yeah (laughs) do you remember what book it was uh, I still have it. It's yeah. like on my shelf in my apartment. Um, it's like the second volume of like, if you, I think if you Google like screenwriting book, it is like the screenwriting book. <laughs> screenwriting. It's like kind of like tall and thin. Um, I don't know. It's really useful though. I should, I don't know. Maybe when you guys post the podcast. Yeah, we, yeah you can tell us what the name of it is and we, yeah. can, we can add a link to this is the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then my senior year of high school, I decided to do an independent study as my like elective class. And I wrote a feature length screenplay for 
my independent study. So that was like my first feature. Um, and then when I got into college, I kind of realized like it's hard to have, it's like, I wanted to get as much experience as possible and, and like make as many connections as possible. But like, that's like, there's no, like, there's very few there. I don't think they exist. Like screenwriting internships, like and acting internships, like don't exist. Like they're always like, obviously something more business related. Um, and they like tell you that it's an acting internship, but it's really you like handing out tickets um or something I don't know um, <laughs> which is so valuable office. but it's yeah. like right it's like a different thing and so I was like okay maybe I should jump into a different side of film because that was kind of really what I started leaning towards in college um more so than theater and then I started doing internships at production companies my the summer after my soft no the summer after my junior year of college before that I was working at like theater companies doing things but um uh yeah and so I did three I interned for three production companies in one summer um oh, it was like my insane God. um what? yeah well it was initially two and then when I showed up at the second one they were like oh we split into two companies but we're still in the same office so like you're gonna intern for both companies in this one office and then I would go the other two days a week to intern at the other company um but it was I mean it was really valuable because they were kind of two three the two companies in one office were like a different production company than the other one. So like, I, mean, I can probably be more specific. I <laughs> interned for a Tangerine Entertainment and then Red Crown and Stay Gold Productions. Um, so those were like two very different levels. We've interviewed uh, Daniela. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Daniela and, and, yeah. Kristen and Kristen when, uh, when she was there yeah. before she left. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I interned this, for them. I mean, our guest, we don't even mean, like people probably are like, oh, this guest is connected to this one. We don't even mean for it to happen. New York is so much smaller than people realize. Well, it's, this yeah. industry in general is yeah. so much smaller than you think that yeah. it is. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially the indie film world yeah. is like everyone knows everyone. Yeah. I literally just talked to Kristen <laughs> at my job like a day ago. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, She's awesome. They're both awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and we had Danny on too, who's who's oh, also yeah. working there. So. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, yeah, I saw Danny like a month ago, maybe. Um, see you tomorrow. See, we're so, all connected. Yeah. I know. It's, it's, it kind of is blowing my mind right now. Because <laughs> oh, cause you guys did the, the film thing. Uh -huh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Got it, yeah. got it. We're all... It's just... Uh, a big old family, if it you is. think about it. <laughs> Everybody. <Yeah>. Big old, <laughs> big old love train. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, okay, so you were interning at these production companies. Yeah. What did you like about that? And what were you like, mm, I don't know if this is for me. Um, I mean, I, I really enjoyed different aspects of like both They were just like very different. I mean, in the, okay. The thing that tied them together was like at both internships, I was doing script coverage. That was like my main deal. Um, should, do, should I explain? explain yeah. yeah. Explain okay. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. 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 Um, You're like, I don't want to like mansplain, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So like script coverage is, um, like you are reading scripts that are coming into production, mainly production companies, but distribution companies also occasionally receive scripts, but, uh, you read them and then like analyze them on a bunch of different fronts. So you're usually doing like a giant synopsis, um, and then analyzing them on like, what would the audience be? Like, what is the budget of a film like this? Does it fit the criteria of what this production company usually does? Um, who's attached to it already? Like, is there a star already attached to this script? How much funding do they have? Like, it's like all of these, I mean, 
mean, a lot of it like monetarily based, but like, um, also is it a good script? Like, does it flow? Does it, is it interesting? Are the characters relatable? Are they not relatable? Is that for a reason? I don't know. It's like all these different, but so I would write like, I don't know, like three pages of coverage. And then that allows, honestly, it's like, you're like the kind of like gatekeeper, I guess. So it's like, it's like, if there is a good script, you pass it on, uh, to the upper levels. If not, then like, they don't have to like waste their time reading a script. That's like really awful. <laughs> um, which is, yeah, <laughs> which happens <laughs> yeah. At, at any level, you know, right. like at any level that can happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was doing that. And then the cool thing about Tangerine was like because they do every aspect of production, whereas like Red Crown and Stagold are more so, I mean, they're obviously involved in every aspect, but they're like the really like the super business side of things a lot of the time. And then they're hiring smaller production companies to like do the actual like day to day being on set production. Um, so like being at Tangerine was really interesting because I also got to like be a PA um, and like do like grant research and uh, they are really focused on female directors. Like they only work with female directors. Um, so like make like doing research on like up and coming female directors and like that sort of, so like that was really interesting. Um, and then like Red Crown and Stay Gold was really interesting. So I just got to read all these really cool like I like like big scripts that are like on it and it's weird because now they're being now they're finished films um and like I that I have like encountered recently so it's like weird because I'm like oh I read this script like two summers ago and then it like which can be good and bad because then I like have an idea of what it is is, depending on but it'll be scripts that I like really vividly remember reading so it's like an interesting thing to see the finished version Yeah. yeah Oh, That's man. cool. How does um how did you do your research at Tangerine? Like what like what kind of cuz that's really I don't know that sparked my curiosity. Like if you're researching female directors like is there certain places you guys would look? Is it like festival like past festivals and like who is directing stuff or I don't know. I'm just curious like where you even started that. Yeah, process. I think well they had like a giant database of like female film directors like from every country it was like really overwhelming and cool did um, they create that or did yeah okay. I think they create I think they've been creating that for a really long time um and so they would be like Ali find like google female film directors in like I don't know like Indonesia or like something like a, con- a specific country and I'd be like okay and they, I mean it was not easy like yeah, to find that doesn't something sa- that yeah, specific that doesn't but, sound um, easy at all yeah, but it's like, th- right, if they're like involved in film festivals or like maybe they've done some sort of program, like an institute or something that they've mm-hmm. kind of stood out. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, it was very, I mean, a lot of it was kind of random too and like not the easiest things to find if it was that specific, but they did like having that database really helped because then you could like jump off of it in certain ways and be like, oh, if this is already this director in this country, then maybe that ties to like this other, like maybe if I Google that person, it'll come up with more people related to that or like that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Cool. No, that's really cool. Like that they, I just love the fact that they focus specifically on female directors because we need those or yeah. we have we them. Really, we really need them. We yeah. have them. They're yeah. just not getting the, oppor- the same the, the opportunities. The same opportunities. Yeah. 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 And the same chances. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that was, really cool. Yeah. Well, that was a really cool thing about working for, Stagold and Tangerine in the same summer was because I was working for all female producers. Um, I mean, like Tangerine has like one guy who works in the office, but like, it's like, I mean, he's chill. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I mean, they're not all. And then obviously Red Crown is 
I don't know what they are now, but when I was working there, it was all men. And then it was funny because like Stagold was all women, but we were in the same office and it was like, um, so, but yeah, it was really cool. And I like, I was there when Daniela got her like a- official like academy, oh, like acceptance yeah. letter. Oh, I don't awesome. know. It was just like really nice, like working for, I've been really grateful to like work for companies that have a, like a good amount of females working at the company because I felt like, I mean, especially in my job now, it's like all the research I do, I'm realizing more and more that it's like, I mean, I always knew this, but it's like so many men are in this industry. And it's like, so I like, I realize that it's very unique that I've worked for so many companies that have women working for them. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Such a, yeah. It's that's amazing. like such a blessing. Yeah. So what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say like, cause you've done a lot of research how do you not get trapped in like the matrix of the internet when you're doing research? <laughs> like, do you have any, like, cause that, that's part of the business as an actor, as a director, right. as a writer, you have to, you have to do research. And I just always am like, it's so easy to go down that rabbit hole of like, this takes you here. And then you're reading this article that has nothing to do. You know what I mean? Like you just, I don't know. Do you have any like boundaries you give yourself or like I'm gonna research this topic for like 25 minutes and then move on or I don't know I don't know I was just yeah I'm just looking at me like I'm crazy no no no, I'm just trying to think of something specific (laughs) because like I went to a school that was so like I went to Sarah Lawrence and so it's like so research-based like literally the only like we were known for like never I like took one test the entire time I was there and it was in theater history um so like (laughs) I uh you know so it's like all of my work was paper based and writing based so it's like all I did was research research so now it's like so ingrained these like techniques and I'm like trying to pull out specific things um but I guess like the I mean the research I do at work is usually so specific it's like usually like find information about this person or this film um and I usually use like a combination of like IMDb Sanando, which is like an amazing Sanando. That's like new. a new found. I actually, yeah, like I discovered this before my current job, but like someone, a producer I know was doing needed to, to set meetings and do research for going to Cannes for like the market. Um, and so I was like using Sanando to like help him out. And I was like, what is this? So Sanando is like IMDb, except much more specific to film festivals and international companies. It's like the best. I honestly would really recommend, I don't know how you get an account cause I've always been using other people's accounts, but um, I don't know if it's like you have to work for a company. This is amazing. But yeah, you should definitely check it out because it's like, if you're interested in, in doing anything internationally, it's like, I, that's where I find all of my international film people, like production companies, distribution companies, information about international films that are not on IMDb. Like it's like really, really specific. And like the international community uses, use it, it uses it a lot words. Um, (laughs) and yeah. And then they also have like every major film festival and companies will tag themselves as like, I'm going to be at this film. Like these people from my company will be at Cannes this year. Like it's like really, so you can click on like the Cannes tag and see everything and everyone who will be at that festival. Um, and they do it for like every, like most major like festivals and markets. Okay. Um, I'm wondering if I used it at all. I went to the Austin Film Festival a couple years ago and they had something like that where people had profiles and Mm -hmm. you could see who was, and you could put what events you were going to. And I don't know if it was Sanando, but it was something, it was some kind of 
medium like that. So it was like a really good way. Cause that's the thing. This industry is so small and you might know somebody that's there that you met five years ago doing another X, Y, and Z project. And then you're at the same place and like, what a great way to reconnect and support each other's projects and stuff too. Yeah. And I think it's much more like private and like film specific than IMDb is. So like you can find a lot more information, like specific information about people and companies than IMDb, which is obviously like the entire world can access IMDb. So it's like that people don't often, you're always getting like the phone number for like their main office line and like nothing ever super specific. So like, I mean, I would not, now it sounds like you, I'm like promoting going stalking people on Sonando, but, um, but that's no, also but like it, in the nature of this business. Too. Well, it's also good to know like who you need to know. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like I always feel like even meeting casting directors as an actor, like even if nothing comes from it, I know their face now. So if I see them at CVS or on the street, I can be like, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And (laughs) it's, it's about relationships, you know? And so if you have it, I don't know, there was, um, there's a book and I don't remember what it's called, but like making a list of people that you should want to know and like knowing who those people are and knowing their work. And then when you do get the opportunity to meet them, you know, their work and can have an intelligent conversation with them versus like, Oh, who are you? Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> you know, and there's so many people in this industry and especially uh, even different generations. Like there's different knowledge from certain generations to other generations and like knowing your business and knowing your industry, I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you move from production company to distribution and what what are the biggest differences between working in one versus the other. Yeah. Um, so I, right. So I finished that, the three internships at once, uh, in one summer and I moved into like my fall semester, senior year. And I like decided I didn't want to do an internship that semester because like it was just very overwhelming <laughs> being a senior in college. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I kind of got to the end of that semester and I was looking for opportunities for spring semester internships. Um, but I also like had been insanely busy, like at the end of my, um, at the end of the fall semester. So like, I honestly kind of like should have been trying harder to find something. Um, but I like really scrambled and like, like applied to like a million different things, um, like production companies and distribution companies. And honestly, like, and that, like, I was not familiar with distribution at all. Even I think as like kind of a concept, which I feel like the companies who've hired me will be like, what? Um, anyway, they don't have to know. Yeah, no one will know. Um, but yeah, so I interviewed with like a different distribution company and I like ended up I like botched the interview a bit because I like was getting distribution and production confused and they were like, we're a distribution company. And I was like, uh, (laughs) yeah, so I didn't get that internship, but, um, then I was like, oh, I really got to figure out what this is. Um, because clearly it's not the same thing as production and clearly that's like an important distinction to make. Um, so yeah, I ended up like not, uh, yeah. So I like did a couple of interviews and then someone I know who's a Sarah Lawrence alum, who's kind of my like screenwriting mentor and like has been like till now like from my freshman year of college knew someone at magnolia pictures um and was like hey like i want this person's resume to be submitted for this internship um and so i 
they like asked me for an interview and I did a phone interview and I like really made sure I did my research and understood that Magnolia was a distribution company. And like, <laughs> literally, I think I like asked some questions about things that like they have not even thought about in like 20 years. I like really wanted to make sure that like I knew everything about their company. Um, and yeah. And then I like, honestly, like after that, I felt the interview went well, but then like a week later I was like, Oh, like I haven't heard from them. Like I'm not going to have an internship this semester. And then I got like really sad. And then, cause it's like really competitive at Sarah Lawrence to have internships. Like people have internships from their freshman year through senior year. So it's like, it's like really intense. Um, and so, and then I was at the dentist getting my teeth cleaned and I got a call, um, from Jared who like works at Magnolia. Um, and he was like, Oh, you got the job. And I literally like, I like freaked out. I like started crying like at the dentist's office. Um, it was like <laughs> wild. Cause I was like, I don't know. It was just like, and then I, yeah. And then I started working there in January. Um, but yeah, so I was working in publicity there, which is, um, like a bit different. I don't know. Like, okay. Yeah. So I feel like I should back up and like explain the distribution. Yes. Path. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is distribution? What, what is it distribution? Do? Yeah. So, um, so like the difference between production and distribution is like, and honestly, sometimes they can be the same thing. So like the reason that studios and indie companies are different is because a studio can produce and distribute whatever they create. Um, so like if you're like working at like Warner brothers, they are going, if they make a movie, they are also the ones distributing it. Whereas like indie companies, there are like very, very few companies. I think that have, I mean, it costs like so much. You're really taking a huge gamble if you are producing and distributing your film because you're really saying like, I'm going to spend millions of dollars producing this and then I have to be 100% sure that if I distribute it myself, I will get those millions of dollars plus back. Um, so like, that's like a really big risk. Um, well, so and probably having the connections too, right? Like being more sp like specific, like getting a distribution company to do it, that's what they do versus, right. you know, a indie production company that's trying to be a distributor too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so like in the indie world, the difference is like, right, the production company is doing everything to get that film made. And then a distribution company is the part of filmmaking where um, they are literally just taking that finished product and they're marketing it and they're putting it in theaters and on on demand and in airplanes and on buses and on ships and on everything. Every like the majority of distribution companies buy the rights, like every single right possible. So like they can make sure that they don't get caught in anything, any like sticky situations with other distribution companies that have other rights. And then also because like that, I mean, that's the way that they can make the most money is if like they have this literally everywhere. Um, so yeah, so like that's a big difference, but like, I mean, I think before I interviewed for that one distribution company, I thought that production companies put their movies in theaters, which is like, which is crazy because distribution is like so huge and complicated. And like the idea that most people think that it does like, don't even know it exists is wild to me. Um, but well, yeah. And there's also people when they're budgeting for their projects, don't budget for the marketing of their project. Mm -hmm. And like the reality of it is like, big studios like whatever they spend on making the movie they spend that same amount on marketing the movie and it's such a huge chunk of money but people are so desperate to get their project made that they raise the money for that and then it's like 
ah, oh, shit, we have to market this somehow. And and PR too is so expensive. It's so expensive. It's really hard for, I think, artists to be like, oh, I'm going to spend that much more money on marketing, which isn't tangible all the time either, you know? Right. Yeah. It's no. like this, like, we're going to put a few things out there and see if people gravitate towards it, but you don't know if they're going to grasp it or not. Right. Exactly. And I, I mean, I think that's the case for any, I mean, any film could potentially be hit or miss regardless of if you have a distribution company or not. Um, but like, it's like, right. But a distribution company does have that like insight as like, they have done so many other films before they know like who that target audience is. They know like, is this film like a big part of distribution now is like, is this film going to do well in theaters? Is it going to do well on on demand? Is it a combination of both? Do we just do one or the other? Like, like it really, and then like, is it, and then I think for studios, it's like so many of my friends are like, why is this movie, like the third version of this movie being made? And I'm like, because people in Romania love it. Like, it's like literally like, I mean, it's like thinking about it in a global context too is really important because I like, I mean, I mean, international filmmaking is a huge deal, but I think because like people always think of Hollywood as the biggest thing ever, um, especially in the US, it feels like the US is the center of the filmmaking world. And, and in a lot of ways it is, but like it, I mean, those like international sales are honestly usually what makes a lot of theatrical releases their most money. Um, but people like never think about that. <laughs> well, in China too, everything they're doing in, in the movie industry right now, they're going to have their own Hollywood suit, you know, yeah. like it's becoming a Mecca kind of for these some crazy films, but yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. it's very different than what we're used yeah. to films, but right. films nonetheless. Yeah. That and, make and, a ton and of I mean, money. even looking at Bollywood and stuff too, like yeah. those are huge in they, certain parts of the they, world. They are. Um, we almost always have at least one Bollywood movie showing at the, um, at the theater in Jersey city. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Because we have a really yeah, large, large um, Indian, Indian population. population. Yeah. yeah, And so we almost always have at least one, which is crazy because we'll see this random thing. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, it's the Bollywood movie. Right. <laughs> no, that would, I mean, even like I grew up in like the suburbs of Boston and like the town over from me has like a Regal Cinemas, I think. That's what it, a big movie theater chain. And like, but Westboro has a lot of Indian people who live there. And so like they also have a Bollywood, Bollywood movie, movie every every time you go there. Um, yeah, it's like a, it's like a big deal. And see, if you were a small indie production company, you might not know those, you know, like finding your audience, right. that stuff takes time, I think, developing, which is really cool that distribution companies and production companies can work together to get a film out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And right. And I think it's about forming that bond. It's like distribution companies work very closely with uh, with the producers and the director and, um, and with actors who they want to help do like promotional things, um, and make sure that it is like a partnership, which I think is like something, I mean, like obviously like the distribution world is changing a lot with the, like all of on demand <laughs> that exists. Um, that but I my think my next question. So you're segueing nicely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that it's really important that these indie distribution companies exist because we are creating something that's really specific to filmmakers. And it's like you, it's like, right. These, um, like on demand companies might be able to give you like a ton of money, but like, are they really, do they have your interest, best interests at heart? And I think a lot of the time it's no, but like, I mean, I, I, it like depends, I think, on the specific company, but it's like obviously, um, if they're also 
like working with like a bajillion other people, then like they're never going to be as specific as like if you were working with a smaller company that really wants to focus in on your needs um, and like what, where, like how far your film can go because it's like a mutually beneficial experience. Cause it's like obviously the distribution company wants it to like a film to do well. Cause that's how they make their money back from buying that film. But um, like, you know, but that's you as a filmmaker want your film to be everywhere and you want people to see it. And like, that's like what is a, like indie distribution companies want to do too. You know, it's like just, it all works together. <laughs> so you touched on how the on demand or like streaming type services are um, impacting distribution. Um, could you talk a little more on that as far as like how much has have you noticed even like probably in the past like year or two, how much change there's been in, um, in how involved the streaming services are in, in distribution? Yeah. I mean, they're hugely involved and, and like, I think, I mean, in, in in multiple ways, like I think one way that they're involved is like distribution companies, Um, now like you're not just making your money from theatrical, like you're doing, you're releasing it on other platforms. And honestly, like a lot of the time it's like, right. How often can we say that we go to the movies? Like I, you know, it's like, it's very expensive. And it's, I mean, obviously like as a person who has worked in distribution, I advocate for going to the movies. I think it's a really important like phenomenon and like social bonding experience for sure. Um, but obviously it's like, right. Things are changing. It's just, I mean, when you have Netflix or Hulu or like all these movies or Amazon Prime or all of the above and HBO, which has a lot of movies or Showtime, like they are still, you know, on demand movies. It's really hard to be like, okay, I'm going to leave my house and go spend some money to go, you know, go to the, go to the movies. It's, it's so crazy how just having access to like stuff from your couch has changed how people uh, intake content. content. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so yeah, so in a way it is a good thing for distribution companies because like you, it's another platform to make money. Um, and honestly, like it, it usually makes a lot of money. It's like, and because like, I mean, there are also two different types of, um, video on demand. There's like subscription based video on demand, um, and, uh, pay per view, on demand. So like, it's like something like iTunes can make you a lot of money, which is something I never, I'm not like an Apple Mac person. So like, I never think about iTunes, but like, but like, that's like a huge, like so many people buy movies on iTunes and it's like, every time you buy it, you're making us like a click amount of money. Same things with like TV based, like, like Xfinity on demand. Um, but then right. You have, um, that you, so like distribution companies uh, like also have to work with on like other subscription based on demand platforms because like that's how their movies get seen on those. So it's like, you know, that like a indie film company, you're like, Oh, that company did this and now it's on Netflix. It's like, that is also like a part of the system now, um, which I think, yeah, I mean, it's, I think in some ways can be a good thing in some ways is not a good thing. Um, I think it's, it's just be, like everything, though. It's going to yeah. be interesting, too, how festivals decide to view movies made by Netflix or yeah. Amazon because they, they're technically not studios, but they're also big corporations versus right. an indie filmmaker who's like right. finding a couple of investors. I don't know. Right. The, 
it's going to be really interesting to see how people are already having lots of feelings about it too. Like well, I, that, yeah, yeah sorry. Like no, I have no. lots of feelings yeah. about it. Um, like the New York times published an article the other day, or it showed up in my like sponsored art or whatever. I saw it and it was like, like, Netflix is like a hub of indie film viewing. And then like half the movies on there were Netflix produced films. And I was like, that is not an independent film if yeah. it's produced by Netflix. Like, it's yeah. like, that's like a totally, they, they made that film for like $40 million. Like yeah. that's like yeah. not the that same thing. That is not thing. indie. That yeah. is not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't, and then I was like, and then I was like, come on, New York Times. Like Netflix is what is like destroying all of these other things not I don't even know that might be too intense of a statement but like I got really frustrated because I was like this is just not well, it's just changing so rapidly I mean even it's the same thing with even how online online streaming and Netflix and and whatnot the way contracts are made for actors or writers mm-hmm. are completely different and people don't realize this are completely different standards because of the unions right versus network tv and how that's affecting the middle class of actors and writers because those are the people that are working more but maybe not getting paid what they were comparatively 10 20 years ago yeah yeah and right like it's not it's not like the unions aren't catching up with right. the way technology is and it's the same thing with like the way people view the festival circuit or how what's an independent movie and what's not it just hasn't like caught up because I think we just need another name it's okay it's not a studio but it's still you know like Netflix or Amazon or it's still they have the resources and the means and the connections that you know Joe Schmo from Florida you know comparatively it's 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 night and day yeah um but I mean I guess like the flip side of that is it is giving I mean it's complicated because it's like right it's giving films a different platform to be seen by a lot more people and like a lot more of maybe like an international community than they might have been able to before but at the same time it's like okay weren't we doing that in theaters previously like it's like really I mean like so now it's like this well, balance between- and then it's also like the movies that have been in theaters aren't always worth going and seeing so when you're paying $15 to go see mm-hmm. something that's a sequel or a remake and it's not the stories aren't captivating you and those are I mean just I mean being from I mean, I grew up in Nebraska. Like you usually only get main, mainstream movies. There's like one oh, theater yeah. that Mississippi's will play like that too. That and will anything play. that's too controversial, they won't show. Them yeah, at the theaters. Or right. it's just hard to get indie film because oh, yeah. either they no don't indies. have a star or it's it's mm. taking a bigger risk. Right. But some of those, I mean, some of those those movies. I mean, even just look at like Moonlight and Whiplash and like those movies that were indie films that you know, made a big splash, but there's so Mm. many of those indie films that are really good and really powerful and people just aren't seeing because there's just so much content out there right now too. Right. But I mean, I, but I also think it's like a flip side where like, if you live in one of those places and your theater doesn't have that, like, isn't, putting those films in theaters then right maybe they are on Netflix maybe yeah. they are on Amazon maybe mm-hmm. they are you know and like those right and those indie films are probably distributed by a indie distribution company and then like that so it's like I right I think there are definitely pros and cons but I think uh right it's like this frustrating dynamic with theaters that right it's just so expensive like I 
is something I really hope will change shift soon, so that like theaters can stay you alive. S- in have that you seen way. the movie the passes? Movie pass. yeah. yeah, that's gonna. I'm like, that's a start. That's a start. Yeah, to seeing that change. I know. I need to get like, one. It's like a monthly. Me it's too. Like, what it's is ten dollars. A month. Ten dollars. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what it was the last time they had like this special. Now, but, still, but still, still, yeah. That's like that's you just you have go to go to, to one a, movie like a month. One, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, at least. Just one, and then that's. You it's pay a great it. incentive because it's like, oh, I spent this much money. Like, I feel like that would get people maybe off the couches. They'd be like, look how much money I'm saving. Yeah, like, yeah. But I guess like then when you think about, I think I've re- like vaguely seen articles of like what is then the flow exactly. of money. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's something that would help distribution companies because we. You aren't making as much money. Ticket sales, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. At least for theatrical releases. So, yeah. So I don't know. It's like how what is MoviePass doing to make sure, sure that, that these other companies involved? Because it's like a really. And then if you're honestly, if you're a production company, it is like a very long trickle down before you would re receive money from that like initial payment from a distribution company. So it's like, is that that like honestly, if you're a producer, I think you would probably hate hate movie pass because (laughs) you want your movie to make a ton of sales so that you get more money eventually, which is like a tough thing to do because right. Obviously like the distribution company has to like pay themselves back for the money they spent like buying the film and then marketing it and like for the company in general, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That makes perfect sense. So as a um, as a filmmaker trying to speak to as an indie filmmaker trying to speak to an indie distribution company, what are things that you think filmmakers should know in a in a in that process? Because it feels like such we've like discussed this a little before we started recording, but like it's like a mystery world. I think. Well, and I think a lot of especially first time feature indie filmmakers don't know. Do I? get into a good festival first? Do I get an agent? Do I, do I find a distribution company right away? Like what, and I know it's different for every, every film, but is there things you've seen films do that have found success or advice in that path? Um, I mean, I think, I think if you go to the festival route, there's, I mean, if you do well at big festivals, it pretty much guarantees that both sales agents and distribution companies will take interest in you. Um, But obviously that's like a really like one in a million kind of thing, especially right, because now you're competing against all these Netflix and Amazon films (laughs) and Hulu films that are like, oh, why wouldn't we have a film with... I don't even like some really famous Kevin Spacey in it on our festival, you know? Um, But... Yeah, but I mean, I think that, I think what gives films a lot of validity is a sales agent. So like that is like, but I don't even, honestly, I have no idea what that process is to like get a sales agent, but I assume. Coming from the distribution side, that helps you guys. Because it probably gives like a stamp of. Right. It's like the same thing. Yeah, that stamp of legitimacy. Like, oh, this person believes in this. So 
you know, let's take a look at it. Right. Um, and they, yeah. And it's like, uh, like as we were speaking about before, everyone knows everyone. And like we have, it's like people like sales agents and distribution companies have relationships with each other because obviously like if a distribution company buys a movie, then the sales agent gets money. Um, so it's like, you know, they, they want to sell that movie and they're really going to advocate for you. Um, whereas like if you, I mean, it, I think every distribution company still buys things from producers as well, but you have to be really, I think you have to foster those relationships first, which is hard for a first time filmmaker. And then, really advocate for yourself after that, which is a lot of work to do. Um, so right. Having a sales agent, like just as being an actor and having a regular agent, it gives you validity. Um, and it's easier. And then you have someone doing not all the work, but part of it for you. Right. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. So having a sales agent is clearly up there on the, on the to-do list once you are finished with your film and once you're, cause I mean, I think was it, uh, Jess and Carlo that we're talking about when they went to the big festivals, they already had a sales agent in that, in that. I don't remember if they already had one or they found one. I mean, I think. I know that that was part of their. Yeah. Yeah. That was part of their Those process. were two of our other um, guests that this had. This film will be out probably by the time this episode airs, it will be. Um, oh, showing in New York. Oh, it'll what be showing in it? New York. Um, the Light of the Moon. Yeah. I'll have to yeah. look it, it up. It's, it's wonderful. It's like amazing. one of my new favorite movies. Um, it won the Audience Award at South by Southwest and Mill Valley Festival recently. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and it's also something that's being used. It has Stephanie Beatrice in it, um, who is on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And okay. I, I love her. She's incredible. And she's incredible in this film. And uh, yeah. And if you haven't seen it yet, um, you should see it. It's amazing. It's an experience. And um, they're not only using it for the film route. UN Women is using it um, as a um, bridge piece. And they're also using it um, in um, having doing a college campus tour because it's about um, a woman experiencing a rape. And what, like, the six weeks following what it's like what and what she, she has to deal with and what she, right. yeah. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. It's it is. Powerful. But, um, but yeah, they were talking about like, I can't remember if they went to South by Southwest with a sales agent or if they found one while we were, they were there. But I know that that's how they were able to get distribution was right through a sales <clears throat> agent. Yeah. Yeah. And sales agents go to festivals too. Cause they're looking for the same, like they exist off of pairing up with filmmakers and, and getting mm-hmm. those movies sold. Um, so yeah. And I mean, I think the other advice I'd give, which I think is hard for a lot of filmmakers to do is to look at their film as, is this going to make money? Like, it's like, that's like, which is hard because you want to be like, this is something I'm passionate about. Like, this is my art. Like, and I agree. I mean, I think I feel that way about my work, but it's like at the same time, like if you are looking for distribution and not, you're not just going to self distribute, like that is a big factor. And like being able to say like, Oh, my film is like this film that made millions of dollars. Like that is an important comparison to make, even though you want to be like, Oh, my film is the most unique thing ever. Original thing ever. But (laughs) like, honestly, like people, people buy and watch the same things over and over and over again. I mean, that's why there's sequels made and movie version number 18 and like you know it's like make 72 yeah right yeah um so people are like always interested in the same thing so it's like you 
obviously want your film to be unique in some ways because I think that is uh, a different path you can go down in terms of like finding people to be interested in it, obviously. But like if there are things that are not so unique and everyone loves, that is a really good path to go down to. And like realizing like, okay, do I, is like, will my film make a really good trailer? Will my film make a good, do we have a good poster? Do we have things that, that can get, or could we have those things if, if like a distribution company did them, like would they see that in my film? Or built in audiences too. Exactly. Like having, having a genre or mm-hmm. um, a topic that already has a built in audience. I've noticed that through our guests that we've spoken to, especially yeah. with features, that having that kind of built in audience has propelled them in the festival circuit or in distribution. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so it's like you if you know that certain... I don't like if you have a documentary and you know that certain uh, like nonprofits are would vouch for that um, and would like also help in the publicity of it. Or you can connect to like a bigger, more substantial organization in some way. Or right. You know that um, I don't know, like everyone loves horror movies, like horror movies have like the huge, like a huge cult following. So like it's like something like that. Exactly. Yeah. If you have a, a kind of gimmicky thing, that is really important, too. Which sometimes is hard as artists because you don't want to feel like you're selling out with a gimmick mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. thing. Or you don't want to admit to yourself that it has that aspect. Yeah. Right. But it's like this balance. You have to have artistic integrity, I feel mm-hmm. like. But you also have to understand that people need to buy tickets to your film. So you have to like... If you want it distributed. If know you just how want to it to be it. in the world as a festival piece and then put it online, that's a completely different story. Yeah. Right, right. Which I think is also so equally valid. Like yeah. I don't... Like yeah. I think that's like... a Like I think certain films are right or like you how ha- you create them in mind of going on a certain path and I think that's like totally like people should just create art for creating art like you don't have to create it to make money but mm-hmm. like if you do want to make money then you have to think <laughs> about like is this going to make money or am I making the most obscure movie in the world and like no one will understand it and therefore no one will buy it <laughs> well or sometimes it's like I mean, I was talking even with screenwriting, which you you can attest to, like Mm -hmm. how much do you stick with formula versus breaking formula? And I just feel like the, the, especially, I mean, so much of this is people we've talked to on this podcast is like kind of make giving yourself those boundaries with your first film actually helps you more than trying to be this new unique breaking the rules type thing and I also think if people can see like oh they can make a feature that follows x y and z and is engaging because you have that structure in it Mm -hmm. then as your career goes you're able to okay I'm gonna be more artistic and take this risk. Right. Because then they can all already say like, oh, this is Elise and this is her fifth feature. And she really made this interesting choice about it that we're going to analyze in this way on NPR. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's like the, it look right. No, I agree. And, but I also don't, I don't want to like discourage people making no, like weird random th- things th- for their I first movies. That's like, that's like the line. And I think you have to know yourself as an artist too. Cause like, know some what yeah. the ultimate goal is. Yeah. Do you just want to yeah. make art or do you want to try to make this like a valid like or a, is a this career. project for money and is, to, yeah. to survive? And this right. project is the exactly. one. Yeah. 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 No, that's like, I mean, I think that was like a big, I mean, I, 
I think that was the thing that was really frustrating to me at Sarah Lawrence was like, there's this weird, uh, like competitiveness between theater and film. And I felt like I, a lot of the time I was one of the only people who like realized that they can coincide and go hand in hand and that you can make a lot of money doing film and then do really great, like artsy things in theater or if you're super famous, you could do that in theater too and make a lot of money. But like, it's like, that's so like Jake Gyllenhaal, how many Broadway shows he's produced and made because he has the name and that, you know what I mean? Like he's just one example. There's many, but you know, like, yeah, I think that's very valid. I I feel like for actors, it's kind of like that's commercials, like commercials are really fun and like, but are they, are they going to like fill your artistic like calling to become a character and tell this amazing story? No. Again, it depends on what kind of actor you want to be, but yes, more than likely no. Yeah. Right. But you could have a lot of fun on set and like have this really fun commercial that pays, you know, for the next year of your survival, exactly, you know, and so or helps to be like seed money for your next. Yeah, future exactly. Film. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And it's like, this is like, I mean, I'm like much more, I like, I love film acting. So it's like, I'm like commercial is by, I don't know. I've never been in a commercial, but like I could say like, it's like, I would love to do that. But yeah. it's like a lot of my friends who primarily do theater, like that's like the bane of their existence. So it's like someone came in and talked to us about like the business side of acting and was like, okay, like film. And I didn't really a hundred percent agree with this, but you could look at it as like film is where you make money. And like theater is where you like really jump into your passions and like the art you want to make. And I really disagree in a lot of ways with that. But like, I think it, unless you're doing any film and then you can also not make money doing that too right exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah no that's true I um, mean and you could make more money doing a Broadway show but it right again that might doing Aladdin might not fulfill you the same way as doing you know a Tennessee Williams play you know so right. there, so there's different extremes of it too for sure yeah yeah you know? but yeah I just went to like a school where everyone was like so theater obsessed and, and like because of that they hated film but I could never figure out a reason <laughs> for that they were just like well like theater's superior and I'm like okay that's not a good way to look at things but I don't <laughs> I also too like a hundred years from now are people still gonna go to the theater like are they like what you know like thinking about just how fast our world is changing with technology and I yeah. I mean I think it's I think it's important to to you know save theater and like keep money right. going to that and I mean that's a whole nother thing that's in America with yeah. our government not supporting the arts right. it's subsidized like it does, is in Europe mm-hmm. um and maybe that's I mean maybe one day you'll have to go to Europe to see a ballet or to see theater I don't know oh, you know I don't know I don't like this dystopia <laughs> right I went on this film rant but I also love I'm like a no, huge I, Shakespeare I, fan I, yeah. so like I don't like the idea of theater not existing is like makes me it's just like a different ex- like you guys know it's just a different experience yeah. like I think both forms are really valid in their own ways but like right it's like theater you get to like develop a relationship with a cast and like the I mean the energy of an audience can never compare to being yeah. in a film like yeah. it's just oh, like it's totally different, different. Unless um, you're doing like a sitcom where you have a studio audience, which doesn't happen often well, much yeah. anymore. And that's, right. that's even more like a that, pl- doing a play. Yeah, than, that's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. Unless you're doing that. I think right. it's looking at it like one is watercolors, one is oil painting. Sorry, I dropped my wine there. Um, yeah. You know, like it's just two different mediums to exactly. tell a story. Right, right. Yeah. Right. They're both beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember why I got on this. I love theater and film a lot, both. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, how has how has working in distribution affected your writing? A lot. Well, Ooh. not a lot. I mean, like I 
uh, yeah. Okay. So like what I did in high school slash college was like, I, so Sarah Lawrence is a really like out there liberal place where we have it's like a liberal no arts college rules. <laughs> um, yeah. So we like don't have majors. We don't have great. We kind of have grades. We don't really have grades. Like, you know, we don't have tests. Like, so a lot of our curriculum was really malleable. And, um, so I, what I did starting my freshman year is every semester I took a class where like I, so every like smaller class that you take at Sarah Lawrence, you have to do something called a conference project, which is like a semester to year long research project that usually culminates in like a gigantic paper. Um, but I decided that I wanted to take one of those seminar classes every semester where the professor would let me do a feature length screenplay for my project. Um, so like that, like really motivated That's, me. How are you so smart as at that age? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I just smart. was telling my friend. My friend was she's finishing up her senior year for MFA, mm-hmm. and she she could have gone two different paths. And one of them was this screenwriting course, and she would have a uh, have a have a screenplay at the end. And the other one was. I I don't remember if it was set design or some, something else, just as important, just as valid. But I kind of was like, well, if you make this screenplay, you're going to have a screenplay when you get out of school. <laughs> like that is amazing. And to have mentorship for that and just to have like, here is a screen. It might not be the best thing, but I've like to get it done and to have it there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that was like my whole game plan was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to like write a feature in a semester with all of the other things I do in life. Um, but it like gave me, I was like by December 15th, I must have 90 pages written. Like I can't not because a teacher is expecting it. Um, and then on top of that, I would have to do like a research paper because, okay. So like I, I would write these screenplays, not for screenwriting classes. I'd write them for like anthropology and biology and literature and psychology and like all of these things that have, and like politics and like all these things have like people think have nothing to do with screenwriting, but like it gave me built in research and like gave me a base to develop like much more complicated and interesting ideas because I had all the science behind it. And I had someone who was an expert in that science, like my professor being like, this is the way. You are just too smart. Get out of here. Get out of here. No, that's because that's one. Of, I think that's one of the things with with the writing I've done for for features, which I'm just attempting and trying. But the research of it, like, right. really, and I think that's why so many people say write what you know because if you right. don't know it, you have to spend the time learning about it, which is exciting and fun. But if you have somebody mentoring you that is an expert in the field, I think, yeah. I think you're a genius. That's just like, <laughs> that's you're really genius. smart. No, it's really, really Finish. smart. God. It's really smart. So. Um, yeah, no. So it like allowed me to get a lot done and right. And I'll be, yeah, I'm like the opposite. Like every time someone says, write what you know, I like cringe. I like can't, which sounds really obnoxious, but <laughs> I like, no, can't it's hard. Deal it's with hard. That. Yeah. Like I, I mean, like I know, like now that I've looked back at all, like at the features I've written, I'm like, okay, clearly this is like based off this thing in my life that I was thinking about at the time, whatever. But like, it's like at the core of it, I like am the opposite. Like, I don't think I've ever written anything that is anything based on me purposefully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And now that I'm out of school, like I've been thinking about it more, but like everything I wrote was like so specifically like subject based because I was like, I don't want to write what I know. I want to write what I don't know yet. And it's like that 
I don't know, but it was like How 10 million times. How many do you have then right now? Uh, I have seven features and three pilots. It's amazing. And which one is your favorite out of those? And what is it yeah. about? Um, it's like a tie between two. I'll try and give like the short version of each, but, um, one, the first one that is like my favorite, I wrote my second semester freshman year for a developmental psychology class. Um, and it was about, uh, this boy named Christopher and he kind of like, doesn't, he's like not very popular. He like doesn't have many friends. Um, but he does have this one friend Sawyer, who's a couple of years older than him and like lives in his neighborhood and they like hang out all the time. Uh, and Sawyer really loves building robots. So he like teaches Sawyer or he teaches Christopher that. Um, and like, that is like that relationship is really important to Christopher. But then the summer before he goes into sixth grade, Sawyer dies in a car crash. And so like Christopher then kind of adopts these like from a psychological perspective, these like coping mechanisms. So he discovers this world that Sawyer created. That's like a robot world, but the robots that exist in it don't have imagination. So they like need a human leader to like keep their world going and like kind of direct what's going on because otherwise everything like starts falling apart. So Christopher kind of replaces Sawyer, uh, in this robot world as like the leader. Um, and he exists in this world for like a lot of the screenplay. But then of course, like the more he's in that imaginary world, the more his real life is like falling apart. Um, and like no one understands him and his teachers think that he has ADHD and he gets like misdiagnosed because like no one gets, like, I think childhood grief is like a really misunderstood thing. And so that was kind of like what I was focusing on. Um, but yeah, so like, and then eventually he kind of comes to the realization that like he wants to live in his real world because his relationship with Sawyer isn't what he thought it was. Like, it's kind of like, I mean, I, this actually was kind of something very specific based off my own life is like when I was a kid in my neighborhood, I had lots of friends who were a lot older than me and I like loved them. Cause I thought they were like the coolest people ever. And, but like in reality, they treated me like horribly and I like never got it because I was like, I was like seven and I was like, wow, this person three years older than me knows everything in the world. Um, no, it's funny how we did that as kids. Yeah. yeah. So like, I really wanted to like focus in, it's like something I think about a lot. And so like, I wanted to focus in on like that realization. So that's kind of what Christopher realizes in the end is that like Sawyer was important to him, but maybe was not the best influence. And so he like decides to like let go of that robot world and like live in his real life. Um, that's beautiful. That's really cool. No, I like it a lot. And then what do you say? It's a tie between that one and what was the other one? Yeah. So the other one I wrote my sophomore year, um, for, a biology class that was about um it was like a combination of studying nutrition and um like the obesity epidemic and diabetes and then like the second half of the semester was about anti-aging um so I wrote a screenplay that is like 70-ish years in the future um and the U.S. government has developed this regimen that if you if you adhere to it can expand your lifespan to like up to like 200 years. Um, so it all of a sudden, but it's like in, in the world that I created, it's like very new. So like they only had this start like five years ago from like where the screenplay's at. Um, and the kind of catch is that you have to decide whether you want to take this regimen or not at the age of 18, which is like obviously like a big decision. Cause you're like, I'm just going to go to college. But then like, Oh, I can live to 200. Why should I go to college now? Like, it's like, I mean, which is like really, I, but like it really, so like in a broad sense, like that affects literally everything. It's like, what do religions think about this? What do like, 
what do politics become? Can we, can the world hold people who can live to 200? Like, it's like, do we have those resources? It's like all, but then like I focus in on two, um, like boys who are about to turn 18 and they're best friends and they have like very different personalities. And one of them chooses to live quote unquote forever. And the other one doesn't. And like, how does that change their relationship? Like what they're deciding to do with their lives? Um, that kind of thing. So like, that's how I like focus all those like big ideas in. No, oh, that's um, awesome. That sounds really cool too. Very sci-fi, both of them. Yeah. yeah I'm like, sci-fi is like my thing yeah. <laughs> that's like that's five awesome. out of seven of my features are sci-fi that's awesome, no, that's awesome. I yeah. love um time, female screenwriters well, doing sci-fi sci-fi yeah that, that concept of time there's so many questions about humanity that come up with that yeah I mean even just I mean I think now that people are living longer anyway those mm-hmm. questions are yeah. coming up too yeah you know with the elderly like do you keep helping them to live longer when their body is breaking down or do you choose as an elderly person to say enough is enough and you know right and then like how do we govern around that like Mm -hmm. do people still retire at the same age Mm -hmm. and how long do we like is that the same age that they start medicare right medicare is when you're older right it's not medic yeah medicaid i think is is when you if you don't have a lot of money right yeah oh okay yeah yeah i think i I always get them confused i I always get confused which one's which but um but yeah medicare um you know do they start at the same age like all that kind of stuff that's all like it's very interesting topics yeah yeah so it's like really and right and that's kind of what I it's like I really like writing grounded sci-fi so it like exists in a world that we already understand but something very even honestly something subtle changes and it changes literally everything else it's like the idea like people could be like oh I'm gonna live to a hundred now but it's like we think of that and we're like what are the implications so I like decided to make it more extreme to like make it more obvious but it's like right what are those implications and then on top of that I really wanted to like make a point about how like if this regimen existed it's like who gets to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think it's a very privileged group of people who can take the time and energy because like money. all of this and the money yeah, yeah. that, well, it's like a free thing from the government, but it's like, you have to like, this is all based on like science, like science research I did. It's like, you have to like have a really specific, um, like, caloric intake and you have to exercise a certain amount and you have to like do all of these things that are very and like take certain nutrients and supplements and and be really really regimented and it's like people can only do that if they're not doing a lot of other things you know mm-hmm. so it's like who would get to to be able to take something like this and stick with it enough to really make an impact on their lives is like going to be a very privileged group of people and I think that's something we have to because I think honestly like the U.S. would be the first country to develop something like this and like would and I think it would just add to like a lot of unfairness that already exists in our society you know yeah probably that divide that already exists that keeps to seem the gap seems to keep getting wider and wider and wider yeah yeah oh my gosh we could talk about this forever it's making my mind i know i know i love Um, both of those concepts i do too um well tell everyone who is who is listening where they can find you where they can find me um okay so i uh they find me um by email <laughs> i don't know twitter, what, twitter what do i say any sort of snapchat or snapchat i feel like right? snap yeah snapchat is me snapchat is like a weird thing well, i don't know then but okay instagram i'm a big instagrammer um ali black bear a-l-i is how i spell my name and then black bear all in word we will um, add under so no worries yeah uh and then 
my face, the link to my Facebook page, which has my email on it. Um, that is like for me, not like my personal self, but like me as an entity, um, <laughs> is also like facebook.com slash Allie Black Bear. Um, and yeah. And then I don't know, my email is just my name, Allie Weinstein with a one at Gmail. So anyone can hit me up. Uh, <laughs> like ask her questions, be, make, make films with her. Yeah. Well, that's like, I mean, I, yeah, if anyone needs, um, so like the networking events I've been going to are really great. Cause I actually just, well, it's like still in the process of being figured out, but I guess probably by the time this airs, it will be figured out. Uh, but I like got officially like hired to write a short sci-fi screenplay oh exciting Um, congratulations thank you yeah it's like wild to me I'm like honestly like beyond excited I like can't even believe it um but yeah so it's like if anyone needs that sort of thing I also like have been trying to get into helping people like I do a lot of like format editing and like plot edit, just editing of especially like longer scripts if people need help with that or shorter scripts or any TV, whatever. Um, yeah, but definitely like sci-fi is really my roundhouse, but I, I don't know. I like doing a lot of other writing too. So if people need writers and also if people need an actor, yes. I'm on IMDb. Uh, yes. my demo reel is there. Um, so if you just search Allie Weinstein, it pops up, uh, on the interwebs. On the um, interwebs. Awesome sauce. Well, thank yeah. you so much for sitting with us, Allie, yeah, and telling us all about you, the mysterious you. distribution process and about yourself. This and was your awesome. screenplays, yeah. which I can't wait to see them one day. I know. Me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for sitting with us. And thank you guys thank you for guys. listening. Thanks for listening. Bye.